All right, I've got uh, some handouts here that I could use somebody to help. Mason, would you mind do, doing this side? And then Matthew, would you mind doing this side, bro? Thanks, man. <clears throat> the study that we're doing tonight is just session one of... Um, well, we'll see. There's going to be probably a nine-week study. Uh, we could go on for quite a while on different aspects of the Holy Spirit and different uh, ways that we want to grow and pursuit of the Holy Spirit and then also the Spirit's activity among us. So, uh, but tonight, uh, session one is the, the, I want to share with you, instead of just jumping right into like specific content, I want you, especially those of you who don't know me very well, I want you to know my heart behind this study. What, why, why this study? Why this, the first thing? And, um, and just to get to know me a little bit more. Uh, but before we get there, I want to just turn to, I guess, the back side of the cover sheet. A couple of quotes, one by a guy named Octavius Winslow that says this. He says, all that we spiritually know of ourselves, all that we know of God and of Jesus and his word, we owe to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And all the real light, sanctification, strength, and comfort we are made to possess on our, own way, on our way to glory, we must ascribe to him. Where he is honored and adoring thoughts of his person and tender, loving views of his work are cherished, then are experienced and in a large degree his quickening, enlightening, sanctifying, and comforting influence. In other words, the Spirit's always active, not just in these moments that we think He is active and we feel Him. He's active always. He's always working. Uh, when we hear a word preached and we're pricked, Spirit. When our hearts are wooed, Spirit. When we're being convicted, Spirit. And uh, He's quickening us, enlightening us, sanctifying and comforting us. Uh, we know there's people in our church family who uh, went through a funeral today of a loved one and and uh, they specifically need the comforting presence of God, the active presence of God by the Spirit um, to see Jesus, to know that Jesus loves them, that they're loved, that their family is loved and they're cared for. The second quote is from a guy named Alistair McGrath, and he says this, the Holy Spirit has long been the Cinderella of the Trinity. The other two sisters may have gone to the theological ball the Holy Spirit got left behind every time, but not now. The rise of the charismatic movement within virtually every mainstream church has ensured that the Holy Spirit figures prominently on the theological agenda. A new experience of the reality and power of the Spirit has had a major impact upon the theological discussion of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. There was a time when I grew up where I didn't hear much about the Holy Spirit. You know, as, as I was growing up in our church, it was, the Spirit was kind of assumed. Um, and because the Spirit was assumed, it was never really taught about. It was just kind of that third person of the Trinity that was a little uncomfortable, except for sanctification, except for making us love Jesus more, opening our eyes to see Jesus. We have uh, at least four things that we wanted to kind of point to by way of like what our hopes would be for this course. Uh, objectives, we are recording these as well, just for, uh, for anybody that might want um, to watch from the classrooms uh, at a later time. And also, just also to uh, uh, 
uh, hopefully inform, uh, in, inform us along the way in the future. But there's four things that I wrote down. Develop a hunger and intentionality for the ministry of the Holy Spirit personally and corporately. So why, why are we doing this? To develop a hunger because perhaps you don't feel hungry for the Spirit. I mean, maybe, maybe intellectually or you have a category that you're like, well, I know the Spirit's important, but do you long for more of the Spirit? Is there that kind of activity in your life or is the Spirit just kind of this weird thing out there? So we want to develop in this class, not just intellectual knowledge, but a heart, a hunger and intentionality for the ministry of the Holy Spirit personally and corporately as a church. We want to develop a biblical understanding specifically of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, not, not, just cognitive, not just intellectually, but it doesn't go without knowledge, right? We, we need more information that God's Word teaches us in that special revelation that we love called God's Word. Um, third thing is to develop a common language and approach to pursuing the work of the Holy Spirit at Sovereign Grace Church Dayton. And the reason that's important to us, anyway, as elders, is, is that we all come from different backgrounds. And so um, we don't want to like just kind of create, create a new language or something, but we want to be speaking similarly. So if some, somebody comes from a Baptist background or, uh, or some sort of ecumenical background or Catholic background or, or uh, charismatic or Pentecostal background, what we found is that there are just similar things that are said, but they're said in such a different similar meanings of things that are said in different ways that just, um, that we get hung up on, get hung up on semantic kind of things, and really we're kind of longing for the same, the same thing. Um, I don't mean that, I don't mean that by way of like universalism, I just mean concerning the Holy Spirit and our pursuit of the Spirit. So we want to be at least, so when we say something from the pulpit or when we're taking, saying something in community groups, that we communicate in such a way as, as like we can understand what we're, what we're saying, what we're teaching, um, and, and, and perhaps also including along the way like a, a broader vocabulary to help kind of put some parameters on how like a Assemblies of God person would communicate something and how we might communicate something, or a vineyard person or a, or a Baptist person. Um, like the word continuationism isn't overly helpful. I mean, it means something, but that's the problem. But what does it, what does it mean? What's the spectrum of continuationism? What do we mean by that? Dan's going to be preaching on compl complementarianism on Sunday. Well, we are a certain kind of complementarian. We are not other kinds of complementarian. So when we put on our website, we're complementarian. I mean, I, there are people I love very dearly who, who are like, like what, like what, what do you mean by that? And so I have to explain, you know, and I get to explain. We want to do that on Sunday as well as best we can. Uh, Dan, Dan, you will be, you know, it's going to be 35 minutes, right? When Dan preaches, 35. Kale preaches, 43. Me, 47, 50-ish, um, something like that. And it's mostly the less you are, the more succinct and appropriate you are. So anyway, um, so uh, there was one sermon I preached a while back where it was like, this was like six years ago. I don't know if you guys were here for it, Robbie, but 
I preached for 74 minutes. <laughs> Man, that was bad. I had to go home and, and, and look after myself. I was discouraged. Anyway, so develop a common language. Fourth thing, develop common guidelines for things like intercessory prayer, praying for healing, uh, pursuing prophetic ministry at our church. So we are continuationists. We really mean that we believe in prophecy. Like we really mean, but there's also things we would say, well, but we don't mean that. And we don't mean this. And so putting some, putting some distinction to it, which, which I've tried to do on a Sunday morning from time to time, but putting some distinction to it, but then also what does it look like to have a quote unquote prophetic ministry in the church? What is a prophetic ministry? What, do, what does that even, what does that even mean? What does that look like? And should I want to be part of that? Uh, so we want to grow in those kind of things. So those are some objectives that we have. And you might come with different objectives. You might just be coming here because, well, it's Wednesday night. And I'm thankful that, that if that's the reason, that's just part of the calendar. Fantastic. And I hope that we can continue to build on this Wednesday night thing. Um, the, as far as the sessions go, you'll see a list of the sessions where we're kind of going. Um, I'm going to pretty much just say that we, we will track with this as best we can uh, well, I'm, I'll be teaching the whole thing, but so as best I can. But as we go along, we might need to spend a little bit more time in certain areas. And so it might end up lasting longer than we think. So I, I'm, I'm not going to be stuck to nine weeks. There, there is a week you'll see an alternate topic. The pastors are going to be gone for a week at a pastor's conference uh, in November. And uh, there'll, be, there'll be another person leading here and speaking about something else. But because we want to speak specifically on this gift, something we don't trust anybody else, is that, you know, we, we are also growing and learning and wanting to lead in a, in, a, in a way, in this way. This is one of our distinctives as a church, you know? And I think it's, it's such a huge distinctive. It's, it's, it's that it's just, there's, there's assumptions from people that have been here a long time and people that are brand new. And so we're just trying to communicate. Okay, here's, here's, here's what we can look for. Here's what we want to look for. From the get-go, knowing that there is just going to be a little bit of mess along the way. We are not going to do everything right. I'm talking about all of us. We're going to say things that are, that are not... Like we'll, we'll pray in certain ways or, or certain things that, we, that we, we, you know, when you look back at your life, right, you look back and you say, man, I wish I, I, wish I had have known X. I wish I had have understood Y and move. So we want, we want to just give ourselves some grace here as we grow in these things. So encouragement for our disposition during the study. Consider your heart. Consider your heart humbly. So be willing to consider your heart as it pertains. Um, did you get a thing? Anybody else need a? Thanks, bro. I only made 30. That was lack of faith. All right, so um, consider your heart humbly. Be willing to consider your heart as it pertains to the activity of the Holy Spirit. All of us come in with, with stuff, right? We all come in with like preconceived ideas or things we've been taught, uh, just, just our experience or our lack of experience or whatever. And so I'm just saying, hey, you know what? Let's humbly walk into this together and be willing to consider our hearts as it pertains to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Be willing to have your understanding expand 
Uh, even if you have known about the Holy Spirit and followed um, uh, good teaching on the Holy Spirit, there is something to learn along the way or be reminded of. Um, and be eager to learn there and ask questions along the way. We'll have time for some discussion, um, uh, probably in smaller groups uh, later on, so that after, after I talk each, each night. And, uh, and then also the other thing is let the Word of God speak. We come with our thoughts. We come with our opinions. We come with our experiences. And I'm saying, as best we can, let's put them down and let's come to the Word and consider what the word says. So, midweek gathering is a, is a time. We'll, I'll, have, I'll have scripture in here, but I really would ask you to bring your Bibles. Bring your Bibles um, and get familiar with your Bibles in this place. And so let's think about that. And then, then not just on Wednesday nights, but like if something is encouraging you, if something is challenging you, if you, something's really bothering you, I mean, take it, come talk to us, but, it'll be, but, but first, pray. Go to the Word and see if you're struggling with it. Then, then let's talk about it. You know, we, we, as your pastors, don't have a corner on every aspect of perfect truth, right? We are growing, and we're just saying this is so vital to the church. We want to grow in this together. So let Scripture be the lens to consider, respond to the personal role of the Holy Spirit, rather than your experience be the lens, or your inexperience, be the lens. Does that make sense? All right, session one, the, the heart behind this study and a look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Um, the objectives of this specifically uh, is to consider the posture of our hearts as I share my heart and minds as we enter this study, and then to familiarize ourselves with the personal work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and to grow in being able to compare and contrast um, to some extent, the, the, uh, the role, the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament as compared to the New Testament. Uh, uh, what's, what's similar, what's different, those, those kind of things. And, and really, this is a, a, like a total flyover. So it's worth uh, spending more time on. Some of you know uh, my story, and I'm not going to share a bunch of my story, uh, but I do feel like it's just really important to, to recognize that that, I, I, that this, this all comes from a certain place. I, I grew up in a Christian home, went to, went to church Sunday morning, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights. And um, uh, went to Awana, memorized scripture, blah, 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 did all the stuff. And really it was like until I was 15, that's the way, that's the way it kind of was. In my ninth grade, 10th grade year of school, started to kind of uh, really uh, fall away from anything, any, any sense of... Um, being a follower of Jesus. I prayed a prayer when I was four, supposedly, but when I was 15, I went to a camp, um, like a, a um, uh, more of a, like a family camp kind of thing, and the uh, Spirit regenerated my heart, um, I think, in that, in that August of 1984 night. And, um, um, and so I understood for the first time, uh, really, that I wanted to follow Jesus, and I needed to follow Jesus, and not just call him my Savior, but really follow him. Um, and he gave me the gift of repentance and faith, saved me. Uh, now, fast forward 38 years to today, and many things have taken place in life. Marriage, um, where, where, where are we? 30, 33? 33 years? 33 years uh, of marriage uh, to um, 
um, the girl that I met on a mission trip when I was a year after I got saved. Um, both of us felt specific call to ministry back when we were 16, and uh, it's just been a ride since then. So I had, um, um, we had three kids, and now we have uh, four grandchildren, and um, uh, deepening love for God and for his church. This is, uh, I was a pastor in Iowa for 13 years and a pastor in Minneapolis for six, um, and, then, and then been a pastor here since 2014. And, um, and I, love, I love God's people. And I, I think I, I, I don't do it, um, I don't say it because, because I feel like I need to. I really, commun- I, I really love you. Lord has given me a, a, a dear love uh, for you, and I am thankful for that. And I know that that's true of you all for one another also and increasingly. But I hunger, as much as I love God's people and I love the word and I, 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 love, I love the Lord, um, I hunger for God to work in me in ever-deepening ways to know him and to know his love for me. So it's not just a head thing, it's a, it's a, it's a heart, it's head and heart, it's, it's like loving him, longing for him, wanting to know the power of his re- resurrection, that I would become more like Jesus, my eyes would be open more and more and more to see him and to know his love, that I would be empowered for evangelism and, and to witness and to, uh, to the communities we live in, empowered for mission, whether it's here or nationally or internationally. Um, all of what we've been, I've been called to as a child of God, not just as a pastor, but as a child of God, as a, as a sheep. Uh, the Lord's giving me an, an increasingly strong desire for more of him to experience the fullness of God uh, in, increasingly. I've been given the fullness of God, but wanting to experience that fullness of God increasingly more and more. Uh, to desire that which is true, that there is more to be experienced of God than I'm currently experiencing. I mean, do, you, do you believe that? Do you believe that there is more to know about God, more to experience of God than what you're currently experiencing? Um, I want to know him more. I want to be filled with him, with the Spirit, particularly again and again and again. I want to not only know theology, I want to feel the theology that I know and to have it inform and infuse my life with joy, not just like, this is, this is truth but this is truth, man. I want to experience that which I know to be true by the study and teaching of God's word. So when I preach, I mean, I've been sitting, I, I, I know um, it's, it's if, you've ever, if you've ever taught from God's word or from anything, but God's word in particular, you know, we as pastors, we sit in God's word for hours upon hours on a specific text. And, and it just soaks in. And so by the time we're ready to preach, usually, not always, usually we're just like, we're like in it, you know, and passionate about it. And it's the first time you guys are hearing it. And you, like first time I read, first time we read it, we're, we're kind of like, huh, yeah. And then like second, third, fourth, as the spirit gives us understanding, it's just like this fire begins to build. And again, not always, but most often it does. And so it's like the reality is like that experience for all of us to experience more and more and more. And I'm not talking about just hype. I'm talking about life, like real life, real joy that, that we're promised um, in, uh, in, in Christianity by the power of the Spirit 
knowing that we are born again, loved, saved, and I, I don't want to just do church. It's easy to kind of fall into that, but to teach good things on Sunday, teach accurate things, sing some, some songs together, to hang out with each other, do some good in the town that we've called, been called to. I, I want us rather to, to think rightly about God and his word individually and as a church, but to, and to study it and declare it rightly because it's powerful. It's the word. It's, the, it's powerful for us. It is, the, it is our life, very life, Moses says. Um, but I want the word of God to, to be preached with power and the reception of God's word to be received with power. And so who does that work? Is it me just speaking loud? Getting intense? You know, maybe that's helpful. Maybe it's helpful to talk quietly. Think about what you're talking about. You know? I mean, there's that kind of thing, right? But we know that, that when the Spirit moves, it doesn't matter really how it's being spoken. It's the truth that penetrates and it cuts and it saves and it encourages us and it challenges us and who does that the spirit of god i want to know the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of jesus's love for me how do i get to know that well by the word of god but not without the spirit the spirit must be at work i want to love him with all my heart i want to love him with all my soul and all my mind i want the spirit of god to be poured out on me and us as a church i want us to be empowered evangelists not just guilty evangelists doing trying to do the work because we know we need to i want to see the blind given sight both physically and spiritually so we pray for the uh, blind to be given sight i want to see new believers baptized i want to see the currently dead in their sins come to life and love, find, find life in christ uh, i want to see new believers and old believers discipled in the ways of god and his word i want disciples to know the power of the spirit i want to know more the power of the spirit this is not just information to pass around this is life this is joy. This is, this is our hope that we're speaking of, part of how God's revealed himself. It's not, it's not boring whatsoever. It is life to us. But like, that's why, why I'm saying we need to, one of the objectives is to check our hearts on this. Because do we really believe that's life? Or do we just feel like it's information? I want to see God working in us and through us as we live in the mundane moments of our lives and in meeting us in our times of prayer, answering prayers in normal ways and miraculous ways, seeing the gifts of the Spirit active and effective for the church to being built up as it's promised. I, I want to see us empowered to kill sin like we've never killed it before with joy, you know, killing sin with joy, with a greater affection for Jesus. And it's the Spirit and the Word that does this in our lives. So we need to know and we want to grow. And as I want us to be unified as a church, I want to grow on mission together. I want to plant churches, Lord willing. I want to see churches established and strengthened, sending godly men and women across the different part of the city or different part of the state or the country or the world for the sake of the gospel seeing kids love God, seeing students love God more than anything else in their lives, whether it's college students going and feasting on, on um, the, the, the riches of, of Christian education, 
that can kind of go in one ear and out the other if they're not careful and actually let it land on our hearts to be changed, radically altered. There, there, is, there is such a need for the church to be renewed and revived. Not, not just revived so we live on this cloud all the time. That's just not, not, not the way Jesus says in this world you'll have trouble. It's going to be trouble. There's those moments, right? And we long for those moments, but there is strength. There is strength and weakness. There is, there is strength to be known. And the way that we know that strength is by the power of the Spirit. And yet, the Spirit sometimes is just a category to us that we tend to not think about or talk about. So I want us to know God, to love Him, to be able to say with the Apostle Paul that we count everything as lost compared to knowing Christ Jesus, to know the riches of, of him and the power of his resurrection, even to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I mean, so we, we might come to a place where, where there's some disagreements about little things along the way. Hopefully not very big things, but there might be some bigger things. I don't know. But the reality is, do we long for more of Jesus, do we long for more of the Father? Do we long for more of the Spirit? Are we truly Trinitarian people? Well, that's the heart behind this study. I want to grow together not only in head knowledge of the who's and what's and how's of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as far as we know it, this point, but an eager anticipation of all that God has promised in his word to live in the good of that and the common everyday moments, often mundane moments of our lives. So all in all, I'll tell you that the way that we're praying, the elders are praying for all of us here personally and corporately is in this, in this way, that we would know and love Jesus above all other things, everything else. Of course we'd be praying for that, right? But it's like we don't pray for that Apart from saying, Spirit, you gotta move. You gotta move in our hearts. You gotta move in these people we love, their hearts. We say that we wanna love Jesus above all the other, uh, all other things, but and then we turn and find joy elsewhere, and we pray that starting with me, there would just simply be a revival of love and affection for the Savior above all other things that we would recognize the normal workings of the Spirit among us. The ever, the, the, we'll have a session on this, the broad work of the Spirit. Spirit's always active. Not only in the miraculous moments, He's always active. Enlightening our eyes, opening our ears, giving us life, joy, peace, comfort, eyes to see Christ, a heart to understand this his word. He's always praying for us, whether you know it or not. He's always interceding for us. And he's praying according to the will of the will of God, which he, he, would, he would know. <laughs> he's omniscient. So, friends, pray for humility as you enter this study with me. Um, pray for wisdom and discernment. Pray for expectation and faith. Pray that the Spirit would be poured out among us, both now and tomorrow morning and Sundays when we gather, so our hearts would burn within us like the, like the guys and the disciples, whether men or women, 
on the road to Emmaus, that we would be delivered from fear and anxiety and unbelief, and that we'd be empowered for the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only hope for a lost and dying world. And we would not put our eyes on anything else, but fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The benediction in Ephesians 3 is, is what we, we pray often, and, um, and I think we pray, we pray this with a, potentially a lack of expectation, but we need to just start taking the Bible literally um, where it's needed to be taken specifically, literally like in Paul's letters, and it's not apocalyptic or something where you have to process it differently. This is straightforward, although it's crazy. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, the Holy Spirit, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's, that's, our, that's our hope. So, so my, my, uh, my desire for this starts not with me wanting to teach you something. It starts with me needing this really bad. And knowing that you need it really bad too, whether you think it or not. And so I didn't want to start just with like a summary of the Old Testament, just kind of get into the nitty gritty of things. The, the, the activity of that spirit in the Old Testament is a little bit, it, it's, gonna, it's gonna be brief. We're only gonna spend a short period of time on it. There's more to be stated, but I wanted you primarily to know my heart in this tonight and to grow in expectation. A brief summary of the activity of the Spirit in the Old Testament. A couple of things just to make, uh, just, to, just to know, notes on Old Testament terms. The, the word for sp uh, Spirit, ruah, breath, wind, Spirit, appears a bunch of times, 377 times in the Old Testament. And uh, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old, um, it's translated as pneuma uh, 264 times. And of those times, the instances specifically speak about the Spirit of God, 94 of those instances. There's other words for spirit, um, uh, about a human spirit, and, and, and there's, there's a lot of times in God's word, and you'll see this in translations, that sometimes the word spirit is capitalized, other times it's small. And, and there's really, um, sometimes it's very clear, a lot of times it's not so clear. There's like not, not sure, and there's some, there's some translation difficulties. Um, uh, as, as far as knowing, okay, is, it, is it like your spirit? Is it, is it my spirit? Is it something about me, about my spirit? Or is it a demonic spirit? What, what kind of spirit is it? What is it? Um, is, and it's not, we're not left to guess everything. I'm just saying that sometimes in our Bibles, when it is a small ass, um, because we're not going to the original languages, it's like a, it, might, it might be something where you just want to do a little word study on that to be able to understand like what it's speaking. Is it ruha or is it ruach? Uh, those, those kind of things. This is it pneuma? Um, and, and Bible software is really helpful for that. Anyway, the point is, is that there's a lot, of, there's a lot about the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. A um, couple things, or a handful of things that it speaks of. The Spirit as divine creative power. Um, and we'll see the very last thing we talk about is just the spirit of God being God himself. So 
Um, so we, uh, these things all make sense to that, to that end. But the spirit has divine creative power. Spirit's responsible for creation. Spirit is responsible for the eschatological renewal of the earth. Some, some verses in that, we'll just track through this and then we'll break up into groups just for some conversation about this and then prayer time. Uh, when you send forth your spirits, Psalm 104, they're created and you renew the face of the ground. You see the creative aspects of that. Um, uh, Isaiah 63, he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea while the shepherds, with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. The Spirit was involved in, in creation and leading the people through, um, through the desert as well. The Spirit of God has made me, Job says, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So just this clarity that the Holy Spirit is divine creative power. Those are, those are important specific words, divine creative power. Second, the spirit and leadership. Now we know some of this, if you've studied this much at all, you know that there was a, a sense of, um, where, well, not a sense, where the spirit would come on a leader, a government official or, or a military official, uh, and, and give them what they needed. So, um, for instance, uh, Numbers 11. The Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting. Let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So Moses had this... this um, filling or, or, or a blessing of the Holy Spirit. And there was a transfer then that, that happened out of Moses, from God, out of Moses to these 70 other elders to be able to lead. There is a, there's a hint there of, of something that we see more often in the New Testament where there is a laying on the hands and a transfer of, of um, spirit power. Um, or Jesus, for instance, being uh, touched we know, we know there's different thoughts on this, and we'll get to this. There's, there's, a, there's a heresy that we, can, we could jump into here if we go too far about Jesus and um, the power of the Spirit on Jesus, but we'll, we'll get to this in just a moment a little bit more. But the reality is, is, that, is that when, when uh, there, there was a transfer of power, wasn't there, when, they, when, when somebody touched Jesus? touched Jesus' cloak, there was this transfer of power. I don't want to make, make too much of it. I'm just saying that there's a reality here that seems like, huh, that happened to Moses, that happened here, and it's happening there. It's interesting just to think about in the process. Of course, we know that taking some of the spirit that is on Moses and passing it on to 70 others, we know that there's a reality like Joel speaks of in Joel 2 and then Acts 2, of course, where, where there's... Um, where there's a promise of the eschatological, like where, where in, in, the, in the last days, uh, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And my sons and daughters and slaves and free will prophesy. It's just that reality. So that's a, uh, more of a fulfillment at that point in Acts 2. But um, 
goes on and judges, uh, at least seven judges receive the enabling of the Spirit to perform ministries on behalf of the whole community of, the, of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord judged, was upon him, he judged Israel. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord was the one that empowered, it was on these men and women. Military commanders like Joshua were empowered and enabled by the Spirit. Um, take Joshua, Numbers 27, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. See it in Samson as well. Um, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, it says, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the line in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, I grew up, hearing the story of Samson. And Samson, for a lack of a better word, he's a stud. Big arms. It was, it, was, it was much more to me growing up about Samson. I mean, that God had given him favor, but there was nothing about the Spirit of God as I was growing up about Samson's life. But Samson, Samson was, the, the Spirit rushed on him and he pulled killed animals or people. That's another topic. Um, killed enemies of God at the time. So anyway, so um, then interestingly, Judge, Judge 16, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. Remember you guys haircut, right? Um, but he did not know that the Lord had left him, which is to say the spirit of the Lord had left him. Um, just that reality of the spirit of the Lord that was on him, that had rushed upon him, had left him. The Lord had left him. No power anymore. Something specific about that. There's no magic in his hair. There's a promise. There's a connection with obedience. And there's the power of the Spirit. And interestingly, in all these things so far, we know that the Old Testament also, or, or you should know along the way, and we'll see it again here in just a few moments when we talk about the kings of Israel, is the Spirit, um, there's, there's, there's never... There's always talk about the Spirit coming on somebody for a purpose, for a season, for a specific ministry, for a specific fight, or a specific whatever, a specific purpose. And he comes, and then at times he departs. Um, that's, that's, a, that's not a New Testament reality. Um, but it is an Old Testament reality. So it's one distinction between the two. Um, the kings in Israel were anointed with the Spirit to enable them to fulfill their calling. I think I've got a long text in there for you, but if you go down about two-thirds of the way, it says, the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. This is to Saul, the first king of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. It sounds like Sam uh, Samson, right? Rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you'll be turned into another man, a man that powerful, a man who is still frightened at times. And when they came to Gibeah, the end, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and what did he do? He prophesied. He prophesied among them. Um, 
seems a kind of a common thing theme as well that in in this case just something to think about when the spirit of god rushed upon him is often we'll see in a moment there's 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 a there's a often people prophesied which points to acts 2 as well right so when the spirit of god is poured out my people will prophesy so the spirit of the lord departed from saul then uh, in 1 Samuel 16, because of disobedience and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. There you see the difference in the capital S and a small s. And um, the reality is now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, the, the, specifically to know that there is, there's, a, there's a reality of like the spirit of God was coming on Saul for a purpose, for a season to be king of Israel, and so when the Spirit of God was removed, it was he had no more power to rule, and he was not meant for that anymore. As far as a harmful spirit goes, doesn't say. We're kind of left to wonder what that is. A harmful spirit? Probably, probably a demonic spirit, which is another question then. Was the Lord sent a demonic spirit? Um, that's for another day also. Um, but it's pretty clear. David. Uh, he sent and brought him in. He was ruddy, had a lot like me, I think, ruddy, and uh, beautiful eyes, was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Uh, three, the Spirit empowered or enabled unique skills for the sake of the people of Israel. You think about people who, like this one guy who was given certain gifts, certain skills, certain abilities to be able to uh, build things for the tabernacle, and he was specifically gifted by the Spirit for that. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the things that we see. So with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze. This is an interesting thing that... that this guy wasn't able to do what he needed to do apart from the Spirit of God giving him what he needed to do. Um, specifically in the skill realm, in the art realm, and the, the construction realm, and the, that kind of thing. And I think we have become so materialistic in the sense of like, um, I've got this skill. I've, I've got, I, I, I can do this. I can, I can do this. That, that we... we we do a disservice to the potential, as Calvin will speak of, of the common grace of the Lord and the specific grace of, of the Holy Spirit on his people and on people in general. Now, I'm not going to make a big point of this, but it's interesting. He said, Calvin says this in, in, in the Institutes. He says, if the Spirit dwells only in believers, this refers to the Spirit of sanctification, which we'll talk about on another day. Nevertheless, he, that is the Spirit, fills, moves, and quickens all things by the power of the same Spirit. If the Lord has willed that we be helped in physics, dialectic, mathematics, and other like disciplines by the work of the ungodly, let us own this assistance. In, in other words, people who are in this world, um, yes, God gave us minds, God gave us abilities, God gave, but, but that's the point. God gave us Skills. God gave us abilities. And I don't think that it would be wise for us just to throw the Spirit out, and the Spirit has nothing to do with anything else except believers. The Spirit is a work, even just blessing, blessing God's people through the work of other unbelievers' hands 
Just interesting, interesting to think about. The question, is this comparable to New Testament gifts of grace, the, the, the uh, spiritual gifts found in Romans, 1 Corinthians 12, um, you know, the Old Testament, there's this, there's this specific giftings to do certain things like this, and it's just possibly comparable. It's not the same thing, but interesting to think about. I think the way Sam Storm calls it, he says, it's kind of like a foreshadowing of that which is to come. So the, I've already mentioned this a little bit, but the spirit and prophecy. Um, it says, uh, going, going back to Numbers 11, you know, speaking about like taking the spirit from Moses, part, part of it from Moses, taking some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. It's, um, we see that in Luke quite a bit. We saw it in Luke when we went through it. We saw it in Acts when we went through it a number of years ago as well. It just seems that it's almost always that people, when the Spirit of God comes, they prophesy. And again, Acts 2 seems to indicate that that, that is something that happened uh, many times, at least through that period of time, that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. He says that, that there would be a day in the future. Now, this again is Moses speaking. There would be a day in the future when everyone would prophesy. All God's people would have the Spirit on them, would, would prophesy, which meant that they would have the Spirit on them. And then Acts 2 happens. All right, Spirit and Revelation or Interpretation. Uh, this, this illustration is just Daniel. Um, the last Daniel came in before me. He's, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, oh, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel did have the Spirit of the Lord on him, and there was a specific gifting. That he would be able to do that. Joseph, too, right? Um, and so there's a, there's a revealing kind of aspect to this. Some people, some people potentially have the gift of interpretation of those kind of revelatory things. Um, obviously, everything needs to be weighed against Scripture, right? Uh, but like if somebody's having a dream, somebody might have an idea of like, well, I think maybe that dream means such and such and such and such. And you just kind of weigh it and you think, okay, that's, but some people, some people have that kind of gifting. Not everybody has got that kind of gifting. Um, six, the spirit is God's presence. Um, the connection between the presence of God and his spirit. Where shall I go from your spirit? Psalm 139 says, or where shall I flee from your presence? This reality of the spirit and the presence of God. There's the spirit and eschatology that we were speaking of earlier a little bit. Um, specifically Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from the root shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who? Rest upon who? Jesus, right? Jesus. It's, it's King Jesus. He, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, just, just, a, just by way of interest, um, sometimes there is a sense, Jesus is a pretty unique individual in history, right? There's no one else that is fully God, fully man. But there's a there's a under, an understanding, we'll talk about this a little bit more in, in, in weeks to come, but 
But there's a reality. Jesus could do what he wanted to do as, man, as, as fully God. He did, not, he did not relinquish his glory. He did not relinquish power. But in some manner, in some way, he needed, for lack of a better term, he needed to have the spirit of the Lord on him. There's a reality as fully man. He was a spirit-filled man, the, the perfect spirit-filled man. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Not, not, just, not just like a spirit of wisdom or a, a sound mind, although those things are true, but there is a power that rested on Jesus that was not beyond his omnipotence, but alongside of his omnipotence. Isaiah 61, 1. Uh, this is what Jesus repeated in front of his hometown right before they tried to throw him off a cliff. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Why... Why is the spirit of the Lord upon him? So that he could do everything that he was going to do as the son of God, son of man. It's worth processing. It's worth thinking about and considering that Jesus was not lacking anything. He was not lacking anything. We're lacking a lot of things. He was not lacking anything. And yet the spirit of the Lord rested on him. So, because God had anointed him to bring good news to the poor. Um, the promise then in Ezekiel 11 as well, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. Interestingly, they have a small S there. And so it just seems weird to me that, that, that in Ezekiel, it's a small S, but it's like, it, it could be, I, I think what, what Storms talks about is like um, Gordon Fee, who, who wrote this massive book, God's Empowering Presence, um, he writes often, some, like in, in certain, certain times, there's the small S slash big S. It's like it could go kind of either way, or both things are true. It's not one or the other. He put a new spirit within us. I'll, I'll remove the heart of stone from the flesh and give them a heart of, give them a heart of flesh. Um, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Um, I remember when I first, or just about done, um, when, when I first got into uh, pastoral ministry, I remember somebody saying that they did not want to sing, um, uh, let's see, Psalm, it's Psalm 51. Um, chain, yeah, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Um, and, uh, and like, they just wouldn't sing that song, right? Because the Lord doesn't do that. He doesn't take the Holy Spirit from us as believers. But we're talking about Psalm 51. And so what's David talking about in Psalm 51? The Spirit of God who comes on someone for a purpose, for a specific reason, and then if there's 
for, for, for other reasons or for disobedience, pull the spirit away. Might have very well had Saul's experience in his mind when Saul was given the spirit and then he disobeyed and the spirit was take, pulled from him and Saul went nuts. And he's like, don't do, don't do that. Don't do that to me. I'm confessing. And he was broken. He was a broken man. He said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. It's just not a, not a, not a connection for us to take. We, we're in the new covenant. We have been given the Spirit of God. We are indwelt by the Spirit. If we believe, we'll get to this in the, in the New Testament. But I'm saying the Old Testament is there's, there, are, there are a lot of things that are similar. It's the same Spirit similar, but there are some differences. I'm saying this is what's happening in the Old Testament. We don't need to look at Psalm 5111 and wonder if God's going to take the Holy Spirit from us. That's all I'm saying. Um, okay, lastly, the Spirit, of, the spirit is, is God himself. So he connects, connects the presence God's presence with the Holy Spirit. We've already talked about this a little bit, but cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Um, uh, Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Those things we've already mentioned. Uh, um, what, do you, what do you think, just, just thoughts, what do you think the Old Testament believers thought about the Holy Spirit? That's something just to consider. There was not a clear teaching of the Trinity in the Old Testament. There was a more just a sense of the Spirit of God. It's God, like Yahweh and, and the Spirit, uh, not really separate, not a, not, a, not a fully functioning Trinitarian teaching like we believe. Um, there is just progressive revelation I talked about like five weeks ago when we were talking about... Um, uh, special uh, revelation. There's this progressive revelation of learning more through God's word. Um, yeah, they would just would have understood the Spirit as the activity of of God and 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 not and not the third person of the Trinity. And thank God that after the New Testament, there were people, men and women, who who worked hard specifically to to address the reality of the Holy Spirit and to be able to bring, bring uh, truth to bear from God's word and put it into our creeds and whatnot that, and that, that inform our statement of faith even today. So that's just an overview of some of the um, uh, things in the Old Testament. My heart for why we want to do this study, the old, it's not like, it's, it's not like um, uh, land, landing in the Old Testament and considering the power of the Spirit of God in the way that we have and recognizing like if we know some promises like, like Acts 2 or, or many other promises in Ephesians or whatever, we can, we can realize that we are, we are so very blessed. But, but so are Old Testament believers. It's just that we're blessed a little bit differently, more broadly, wonderfully. But see, they were empowered for things that God wanted them to do. And, and, and so let us, let, us, let us keep this in mind that there is a biblical theology that we're trying, we're trying to think through. The Spirit doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit, active in some different ways now, or broader ways, more glorious ways, and then he never departs for those who truly are given to Jesus by the Father in John 10. What I want to do here for um, 
10 minutes is just want you to, to break down into some groups of four, maybe, two, two to four, three to four um, people. And there's questions on that last page. There's three bullet points. Just take one, one of those points, maybe, one of those questions, and just ask uh, that question. Or if there's something else that you, uh, or answer the question, if there's some other things that you want to talk about in your group for the 10 minutes, then feel free to do that as well. But then next week, we'll specifically be talking about uh, the person and personality of the Holy Spirit and going specifically into who he is and what uh, more, a little bit more of our statement of faith kind of stuff and, and diving into that. And then you'll see back at the beginning, um, you see where we're going. We want to talk about the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. Uh, and that's going to take at least two weeks to talk about. So, um, I mean, a really could be a six-week thing, but, but we're going to try to do it in two weeks. And then we want to talk about the broad work of the Spirit in the church because there is just a mistake, I think, in the church to feel like the Spirit is only active in the, in the, in the miraculous. The Spirit's always working, and He's moving, and so we need to give God glory for that and thank Him for that and pursue more and pursue giftings for the sake of the common good of the church, both in the miraculous and in the things that are just very ordinary, which are wonderful. Uh, why we believe miraculous gifts are for today. We're going to look back at, at um, um, the Bible, Acts, and we'll look at the early church and in one week and go through some of that, and then another week where we'll talk more about the specific giftings uh, that are mentioned and what we think about them. And then speaking specifically in session eight and nine, intercessory prayer and prophetic ministry. So go ahead and break into your groups, and, um, and, uh, and then we'll get back together, and, and then pray together. And then once the music starts, just know that we're wrapping up. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for tonight. Thanks for your spirit. Lord, we, uh, we confess that, that we are so often so inundated with life that and discouragement and self-sufficiency, good things and bad things, that we, we, we just confess that we, we do tend to forget you during the days. Thank you, Lord, that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, Lord, we just, we just want to ask that, that before, during, and after, when you open your word, that your spirit would come in power on us. And as we interact with one another, that your spirit would work in us for the common good of the church, to build the church up, strengthen the church, to console one another, encourage each other, to evangelize those who don't know you, to, to embolden us for the sake of the gospel, not just to be, not, not to be arrogant, loud-mouthed Christians, to, to speak in gracious, loving, straightforward terms about the good news of Jesus Christ with winsomeness, like uh, a, a, good, a good kind of saltiness to answer for the hope that is within us. So give us, uh, give us grace as we interact now. In Jesus' name, amen.